Hey, everybody! It is Yasser! I forgot my line. I'm just kidding. It's Isaiah! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are from my brother Sneaker, and we've got a little announcement. We are teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you three exclusive uh, episodes. Uh, Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moment from a ton of podcasts and creates playlist clips from a bunch of shows. And you can just search and try them out and find anything that you love. For instance... Oh, yeah. There's a playlist on there uh, called Slice of Life, which is all about like crazy and incredible things that happen to everyday people. Like, I just learned this, bro. I just learned some people pay their bills on time, dog. Oh, is that a thing? Dog, people will have a bill due date, and they will pay that bill before then. That's crazy to me. Before then. You know what else is crazy? What? Spook also has a, a lot of fun, exclusive content from Feral Audio. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, like our tournament episodes are going to be, oh, like, yeah. you know, there's going to be stuff like Sleep With Me, a lot of our, our other great shows here at Feral. You don't want to miss it. Yep. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of my brother's sneakers exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash my brother's sneakers. Model boys, cute boys, round butt boys all day. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. If you haven't listened to my show before, welcome. Thank you so much for taking out the time to listen to this show. Uh, please peruse my past episodes. Um, there's a, I've talked to some quite legendary people, and I'm very honored to have done so, and I think you'll really enjoy those episodes. If you haven't listened to the show before, it is just pretty much what the title there is, is, implies. It is a, a conversation I have with uh, an artist, a musician, a writer, uh, activists, sometimes these uh, people who've had uh, grand lives, and I'm th- thankful that they take the time out to share these great lives with me. And today is uh, no exception. I, I talked to Fisher poet Gino Leach. Um, this is a continuation of the road trip series that Kelly Rose, my girlfriend, and I took up the coast, and we interviewed a bunch of uh, artists and whatnot in in between here in Astoria, Oregon and in Astoria, Oregon. And uh, on my website, themattdwyer.com, you can go to the road trip section, and all these episodes are up there with photos and blogs and videos, um, which this Gino Leach episode will uh, have all those things. The video might take a couple days after this post because that's uh, did a lot of work to do. Um, Shane Bugby, uh, who hosted us up in Astoria, Oregon, joins in on some of this conversation. Uh, you definitely go to shanebugby.com, check out some of his, his stuff there. Uh, Mr. Gino Leach is a fascinating guy, and I really 
am honored to have him on the show. And at the end of the episode, he performs uh, some, uh, I think, two or three poems of his. And you really want to uh, hear those, man, because this guy, he's got a voice from God. It is, he has, there is life in that voice, and he is a charismatic dude. And when he performs, you got to check out the videos, too, on my website. It's, uh, you know, if when you see a great performer, the room changes a little bit. And uh, that's what happens when Mr. Mr. Leach performs. It's an incredible tale. Uh, wow, that was a hard intro to get through because um, my I've I've kept recording this like I think this is like the fifth or sixth time I've tried to record this because my neighbors were upstairs fighting, and then my dogs were staring at me like they were my only audience. So I had two dogs sitting in front of me staring at me. While my upstairs neighbors were throwing things and and uh, uh, profanity was being tossed about as well, <laughs> it was like, and I'm trying to have this glib sort of like, "Hey, how are how are we're just doing an intro for a show here," um, but uh, you know that's uh, life in the big city, as it will. And uh, I live. I some of my neighbors in this building are really weird. It's like there's people who won't say hi to me in the hallway. And I don't think I've done anything uh, uh, weird that uh, they shouldn't uh, walk by me. But there's one guy who just, like, gives you that bro walk where he just sticks out his chest and just, like, I'm not there. I'm like, dude, this isn't high school. We're adults. We're neighbors. Let's be friendly. <laughs> it's like, it's, we're not in competition. This is not uh, a crack house where I might rob you. It's very strange. And then these people upstairs with their they constantly fight and swear and cry and scream. I feel I feel like I'm more in a uh like a trailer park or something. Not to make trailer parks sound bad because I know a lot of times people say, you know, oh will you trailer park and hey, let's not get into classism, all right? You know, some people just their economics they have to live in a trailer park. You know? I grew up in a town that was a a step up from a trailer park, so... <laughs> uh, stream in Illinois. Check it out sometime. It might be better now. I don't know, but... In the 80s. Woo! Not a place you want... I, my neighbor actually had a neighbor uh, up the street who uh, lived in an aluminum shed, so... That's a step down from trailer park, if I'm pretty sure. And his name was Billy Bob. And he looked like a Billy Bob. No teeth. Grubby baseball cap. I don't know why I'm on about this. All because my neighbors fought upstairs and distracted me. We are going to get to the conversation with Gino Leach right now. It is awesome. It's incredible. Thank you, guys. You know, early seventies. Yeah, you were out of South Chicago. You know, on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, the Union Hall was out on Hundreds and Torrance. It was at the end of the line was Ninety Fifth and Commercial for the train. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was the last stop. So. Well, that was a rough. That still is a rough area. Yeah. Even as Chicago gentrifies and gets a lot nicer. Yeah. That area stays the same. But it was, yeah. It was, there's some good memories. I, 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 you'd have to go there and hang out at the Union Hall before you could get out, you know. Yeah. And we have to spend a week or two around there at least. 
funeral. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, has your work taken you all over the place like that? Like you said, I know yeah. you talked about you being up by Duluth. Yeah, it was all on, the, on those lakes that went anywhere from Duluth Superior on up the St. Lawrence. You know, those, those four old vessels there, you know, that one on top was an old LST converted Navy, and those two other weird looking ones were with uh, those were ore carriers. They were built before World War One. They were like coal burners. And that other one down in the lower right was a, was a little tanker there. We used to load, load out of like a whiting. Which we ran from anywhere from Duluth Superior up to, we'd go up as far as Messina, New York, up to St. Lawrence River, you know. Did, were you doing fishing in that area too, or was it no, kind no, of, no, no, no. What kind of work on, was that? That was on uh, ore carriers and a, and a couple small tankers there, yeah. Uh-huh. You worked on all those boats? Yeah, right, yeah. My, Are those ships? Yeah, oh yeah. Those yeah. Ships, well, not boats. I well, think Densmore almost well, choked me out when I said, kept saying you had a nice ship here. Well, like, no, that's ship. a boat. You, you know, a boat. A, a boat will like fit on a ship. You know. Do you do you get as offended as that as a as Dave does when you say ship or boat? No, not really. But see, on, the, on but on the other hand, on the Great Lakes, they no, those would be called boats or boats. You know, like an ore boat could be a thousand. You know, they came out with these thousand footers. Those were like right around five eighty or something. Those those old ones, but they're up on the lakes. They're called boats or boats. You know, it's just an old deal. You know, it's a little different tradition and everything back there. But yeah, interesting part of the world. And those, in those days, you know, that that region was still hitting on kind of all eight before, you know, all the steel mills and Detroit. And, you know, everything was running. It was a working stiff. You know, mecca. You know. Yeah, and then it's and shot in a beer world. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, it was must have, Was it? Did it devastate the like your kind of work when that? Well, that I was already out of there by then. But what happened was, my very last year up there, they brought out the first thousand footer work here. So for for one of those, they laid up like twenty, couple dozen of those little things. They'd been running for sixty years at that point. See. So it kind of, you know, I was kind of caught the end of an era up there, you know. And the, the water, is the water pretty easy to navigate up there? Because I know I keep hearing stories about how the, the waters here are some of the danger, most dangerous in the yeah, world. Yeah, well, it's just a it's just different different world. I mean, although on the other hand, you don't want to make light of it because, you know, for, uh, say, in 58, they lost a, a big old, uh, I think it was a self-unloader up in the Straits of Mackinac called the Carl D. Bradley. I think it was 58 and 66. They lost one called a Daniel Morrell, one survivor out in Huron. And then, you know, 75 was a Fitzgerald, you know. So it, it can be pretty cruel. It does, it, 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 it's, a, it's a different it's a different thing, you know. These, these navigating these bars, you've, you've got all this current, this big body of water, these rivers coming out and meeting that ocean swell, you know, and then you have wind on top of that. And you had more options back there. They could lay for weather, or you know, your 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 voyage from a uh, iron ore loading port to a steel mill was going to be three days or three and a half days as opposed to crossing an ocean. So there's difference. But any body any body of water can bite you, you know, no matter where you are, you know, really. Yeah, I I just when you go out on these waters, every time you go out, I mean, you know that there's. The chance of extreme danger is that just you just well that that's it's 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 uh 
I mean, I think I don't think you necessarily take it for granted. You know, as a crew member, you're not calling the shots. I never, had, I was never a skipper. I'm not skipper material, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there's just a lot that can get you, you know, and so, you know, and there's, there's, it can, it can be uh, some mundane run-of-the-mill trip, and you know, anything can happen, you know. Yeah. But, uh, what is skipper material? <laughs> what is skipper material? Uh, well, for like say a, a fishing boat, you have to have the, you know, you have to have the savvy and the drive, you know, to have the capability to put a boat together and gear together and line up a crew and, and uh, take risks and take chances. And you know you're part weather man. You're you're kind of like 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 a farmer in a way, you know. And uh, it's like well, you're you're at you're you're at the mercy of the weather, price. You know uh, whether the fish are around or not. It's like a crop, you know, kind of. Yeah. Did you ever contemplate that you would want to be a skipper? Or you no, like, I I no. knew no. Man. I'm, <laughs> the only the only the only my only command was a. I like to say it was a paint float out of Amco shipyard. You know, it's like some old, uh, some old raft. You know, with some scaffolding on it to help paint your fishing boat. You know. <laughs> and uh, you said before we started recording, you're headed out in two weeks again. Yeah. And you go out for how long? Uh, this is this is uh, dredging uh, down the Gulf of Mexico. Can uh, you explain? I'm sorry to interrupt, but what is dredging? Well, dry, this type of dredging is I'm on a hopper dredge. That's a, that's a there's several different forms of dredging, but this is a, a, a vessel that's a, it's called a, this particular one's a split hull hopper dredge. It's a trailing dredge. You got like, you got drag heads on the bottom. You're, you're doing shipping channels. You're, you're channel deepening. They call it maintenance dredging. So for, you know, which is done all over the world. And down in the Gulf, it's kind of critical because it kind of shallows up, especially like say the Mississippi River state, uh, system which is like the main artery of the country you know there's everything and you know going up and coming down out of that system you know but it's all we've dredged any from there myself i've been anywhere from brownsville texas down as far south there you can go down there as uh, around to like uh, wilmington north carolina but a lot of, a lot of the work we do is in louisiana mississippi river lower end at the entrance first 20 miles up you know yeah, I mean, I never, you never think of that, or I mean, a guy like me that yeah. people are doing that kind of maintenance on the rivers. I think pe most people just think like, yeah, the river they, flows. Right, they just kind of take it for granted. But no, no matter what waterway you're, even for the Columbia River, for instance, this will, you know, they dredge anywhere from, well, not necessarily uh, hopper dredges run up maybe as far as Kalama, somewhere up that way. And you know, as far and out, as well as on the bar, you know. So, uh, and it's it's not as often here on the river, perhaps, you know, as, as down south, you know. There's, uh, I think the current and the system of jetties and everything takes for in this area takes a lot of stuff out. You know, it doesn't silt up as fast or bad. You know, but it's just kind of an ongoing thing down there. You know. So you work three, 
in the Gulf, oil rigs, you know, they're always on a time on, time off deal. You know, we do three weeks on, three weeks off, which is good. Uh, 21 days, 12 hours a day, you know. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, and then, then uh, and some of them are like four and two, you know, whatever. But, you know, they're kind of in that rotation down there. In, like, other forms of the, of your work, have you ever, what's the longest you've gone out there for? Well, I was, like, on a tanker for uh, 11 months on a, a MSC tanker, you know, which went from, well, it was kind of a globetrotter. It went for... You know, anywhere from uh, East Coast, uh, you know, English Channel, Bay of Biscay, Med, uh, Suez, Red Sea, Persian Gulf, Far East, you know. Wow. Yeah. East Coast, a little bit uh, like down there in St. Croix, Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico. Yes. Does it ever get, I mean, you love it, right, when you go out? out? Well, I did. I was single in those days, and I did, and I did. Uh, it's a different world, you know. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Uh, see, my wife grew up in a fishing family right here in this town. As a matter of fact, uh, I could show you these pictures. The little one right behind Shane there on top, that was her dad's boat. You all ever been down to Depot Bay, down the coast? You need a shoehorn to get in there. What you're seeing there, he's coming in in tough weather in a little boat, and it's kind of got a, a jetty there. And then on the other side, on the closest side, what you don't see is like a rock cliff. You need a shoehorn. It's not a real nice day for him coming in. But that's a dramatic, gallant little picture there, you know. That And that was named after my wife, and that boat he uh, salvaged. It was just tits up, abandoned in this little Chinook River up here. He bought it from the cannery and rebuilt it. An old Swede from the old country, you know. When he got her going, he fished up and down the coast, you know. Yeah. When you were going out for like 11 months and stuff, mm -hmm. how, how old were you? Was that like your 20s? Yeah. So yeah. that was just, I mean, living a dream, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a long period of time, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was like, you know, kind of what I set out to do it kind of took a, a roundabout long way to get there you know by means of the lakes and so forth you know trying to build union time that kind of deal and then i did go out again and uh when we had the restaurant i went out in 91 i had to get the hell out of it i, I went fishing for a while that was after i shipped out i made a trip out to the to the west coast far east you know on a freighter, I just had to, you know, get get out. I just uh, looking out the window all the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then once you get married and stuff, I'm sure it's hard to. Yeah, they. That's uh, a different thing, you know. And I knew it'd be a different, you know. You know, you'd you'd have your limitations, and and uh, you know, you. <laughs> As a young man, is that world a little bit of a? I don't know if. It, I mean, it must be exciting. I think people imagine it as like. You're going out when you're like in, when you land somewhere, right. not land, dock. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> Showing my stupidity yeah, there, no, Mr. No, Leach. No, no. <laughs> but that it's like there's an element of romanticism well, yeah, behind well, it all. Well, of course it was in those days. It was like now they're kind of hogtied, you know, the Valdez and some of the things like that. And, uh, you know, the restrictions and 9-11 and, and uh, 
we want to say uh, port securities and and uh, insurance and uh, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a different thing in those days, and uh, so you you uh, you know you could kind of live the life. You know, it was it was good. You know, you had that freedom to you know you know and just howl whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You had a couple priorities on your list, and I'm sure you know what those were. But, you know, uh, it, it wasn't yeah. cathedrals and museums. Oh, right. <laughs> Tea and uh, uh, dance parties. <laughs> those were the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, when did you start uh, writing poetry? Uh, in uh, 19, I was. Still involved with the restaurant, but I, you know, in and out. I was, you know, 95, I went with Blair Miner and an old, uh, old dragger out of Astoria. You know, he's, he's a good fisherman. You know, he happened to be in the restaurant one evening and he said a, a crew member that he had, he doesn't turn over a crew. He's got, he's a good fisherman, got a good boat. He makes, you know, he does good. And he said, well, you know, the guy had to, he took something else. He had to bail and. I, I was just looking for somebody for a trip or two. I went out there with him. And then I went, you know, a week became two weeks and so forth and so on. So it was on that uh, particular boat that I started pinning out a couple of things before the Fisher poetry thing came along, you know, which was kind of interesting in a way. The first one was just about this uh, partner boat in a fleet called the Panther. You know, you couldn't, that name was just like a magnet anyway. It was a great, beautiful name. It was an older wood dragger out of, built up in the, in the sound, a guy named Terry Salo. <laughs> he was, uh, they called him Captain Flatfish, you know, he was as colorful as a boat, you know. So he just wrote this little one, uh, you know, you know, nothing uh, mean-spirited, but just kind of, you know, making a little, uh, you know, lighthearted poem about the boat and Terry, you know. And uh, then guys... You know, they, I read it to Blair, and they said, hey, man, get on the radio, and they said, read it to, you know. And then, and then you'd, you'd be in port, and somebody would want to hear it, and you'd be in a bar, somebody would want to hear it. So then I wrote another one and another one, you know. Did it become infectious? Well, I shouldn't say really infect. You know, you, you, you could see that people appreciated them, uh-huh. right? And so, and the other thing was is that I, that I, I don't know what it was a good thing, I got to work. That's how I kind of learned to memorize them, which kind of became a thing with me because you couldn't always be packing a notebook with her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not that I had that many, but so I had them in my head. And and that's that's the way that I eventually started delivering them, you know, by memory, most of them, you know. Is it is it common that, because uh, Dave Densmore mentioned that too, is like he the first time he wrote a poem, he read it over the radio. Is, yeah. is that the way like a lot of the fisherman poets I, communicate their work? Well, I'm sure, maybe not then, you know. I'm sure that it's happened someplace before or somebody, whatever. But uh, yeah, and I'm sure that that, that census event took place and more people started writing up. It's probably a little more... I, I would imagine that it does occur, you know, pretty pretty often, especially some of the guys in Alaska, mm-hmm. you know, some of the gillnet fisheries or something up there. Or Dave, I'm sure Dave, you know, 
I'm sure Dave, oh yeah, I'm sure he cuts those. Let's see, he, he and I right there in the photo. Yeah, do you want to take a quick break and grab another glass? Well, I just might have to top it off. I yeah, let's, well, I can pause it. Yeah, I've, I've made those mistakes too. Where yeah, I, it's, it's no, you know, like, I learned a couple of times, you know. I, I, I once got, I was really drunk and performing in somebody that I admired as a, you know, as a yeah, young man. Right. And then at the end of it, I was like, wow, you just humiliated yourself in front of one of your heroes. <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> well, you do some of the comic stuff, huh? Yeah, not yeah. as much anymore, but Man. yeah. That's yeah. got to be a tough go. Jesus, I can't imagine. Well, as I've said, I've humiliated myself. <laughs> and that's like, that's what I relate to when you go into, like, when you first start writing poetry. Yeah, right. Uh, when I first started writing things and... And, you know, there was, um, you know, I was, I was afraid to share it because I was like, oh, man, what are people going to think I'm a fool? And I, did you, you seem, I mean, you're definitely a bit more of a brave man <laughs> than I am. But Well, I mean, yeah, well, sometimes you, it depends on your audience, you know. Like, I've had some, some of the worst is, like, sometimes you wind up in a room and you've got, like, sphinxes, you know. It's like the Egyptian sphinxes out there looking at you you know they, you know, they may not get it you know they well it's a lot of slang and terminology that pertains to whatever mm -hmm. i always thought outdoor stages were the absolute worst I hate out, they are out, the worst outdoor stages just suck they get invited some waterfront event they're terrible you know i like small rooms where you're back to the wall low ceilings yeah, the voodoo room's great, but then, but the only thing I feel sorry for the people in there, man, you can't get a popsicle stick in a joint. You know? That's what yeah. I told you, I got lucky, I walked in, said, so I've, I've got to film this, and I just sat down, I was on the stage. Yeah, yeah, the voodoo is, is, is nice, it is, you know, but. Before the first time that you wrote, like sat down and wrote a poem, yeah. though, had you been sort of. Was it something that was percolating? Like, you've been well, reading no, poetry? Not, well, yeah, I, no, not necessarily reading poetry, but I always did a lot of reading. That's the only thing that saved my ass as a kid. I was never, like, a student, you know? I mean, I, I just, uh, you know, I just kind of, I don't know what, I just kind of blew everything off. I didn't pay much attention, but I'd like, but from a young age, I'd go to a little, little school library and check out, I was always a reader. Who were some of the first writers that spoke to you? Well, uh, Mickey Spillane. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, but then uh, this little character I ran around. No, well, uh, well, some of the, the original when you were a little kid were like the, the kid authors or whatever, baseball books or, you know, kind of school type books. But uh, but I would say, you know, well, Steinbeck, I leaned right toward him right now. You know, even in, even in school, you know, like later junior high, high school, like, you know. Yeah, that's, I mean, in high school, too, I... Sure. The reading stuff I was fine with. Everything else, I was like, I don't care. Right, right, <laughs> right. I always kind of enjoyed history. But then I used to see when I was bumming around or as a kid or whatever, and then uh, shipping out or, or whatever, you know, I would, I would write... People wrote letters in those days, you know. And so I used to write letters and send them back home to somebody. And, you know, some of these people saved them. You know, and as a matter of fact, I, some people have given some of them back to me. 
that they sh put put in a you know, shoe box or whatever, you know. So I always kind of enjoyed telling the story, you know. Yeah. Not necessarily, more like a prose form, you know, not necessarily poetry. Uh, yeah, so, and, you know, I, I did admire, uh, and for music, I always admired, you know, good lyrics, no matter what the genre of music was, you know. Who were some of the lyrics that you liked? Well, you know, say like, well, just uh, John Prine, somebody like that. Yeah, for Prine is great. Yeah. He's an old Illinois guy. I mean, he, uh, you know, Christofferson wrote some really good stuff. A lot of people do his stuff. You know, there there are a couple there. There's there's more than that. Uh, but I'm really bad at you know. When, what do you like? What do you, you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, from that whole era, you know, say from say late some of the folk guys, and then you know guys similar to Brian or Christopherson or Dylan, you know, anybody was cranking out some kind of lyric. Yeah. Strong lyrics always meant a lot. They still do it to me. I think that's the stuff that lasts anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I remember even as a kid, I would read lyrics and study yeah. those more than I think I listened to the songs. Right. Uh, Tom's Van Zandt was another one. Yeah. He wrote some good stuff. He went out, he checked out early, you know. But uh, he wrote some real strong stuff. He was some kind of he, Austin guy. Nobody, a lot of people didn't necessarily know him. But yeah, know, it's yeah. it's sad too what you were saying about letters because, you know, I feel like that's a, a lost art form because yeah. everyone's emailing. Oh, for sure. I was never a. I have one of these things. It was a. It was a. Didn't, it was going to be a big fight to even get it in here. But my main thing was looking up baseball scores or, or something, and then. Uh, and then somebody said, well, you know, you can punch in a shipping line or you can punch in, a, a, you know, and then you get this and then you hit that. And so I know enough to be dangerous. But I, I, I don't want to, they scare me, though, because I don't want to open the Young's Bay Bridge, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> or release all the water at the Dallas Dam or something. You, know, you, you never know what you're going to hit on there, what it does, you know? Yeah. Do you uh, when you sit down, do you sit down and write or yeah, do, you, right. do you have a schedule? No, no. You know, I my only schedule is usually, unfortunately for me, I'm not a, like a prolific guy. I I do it, uh, I do it uh, because I have to. Sometimes it's like on a, a tight schedule. Like when that event is coming up, you always want to try to have, you know, maybe I shoot for at least one or two a year. You, but on the other hand, you wind up being like an old rock and roll band and you read the favorites, you know, that's probably what people want to hear anyway. Yeah. Although it's like doing Louie Louie and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mustang Sally or something. But, uh, and then, uh, so, but yeah, I do sit down and write. I've done some here. I, you know, I don't really have a desk. Usually, uh, you know, I've written some... Uh, Usually sitting down, and and I like to have just standard line paper, uh, like a little notebook thing, you know. I can't write on a plain piece of paper with no lines on it, or it's got to have them little holes and a raggedy ass edge on it. Yeah, it's just I, something about it, you know. It's yeah. Every it seems like everybody has their sort of their yeah, sort of know, rituals within. I mean, Hank Williams could pencil out stuff on a gum wrapper, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I heard Bukowski would write on like a, the yeah. paper on hangers a lot. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I love that guy too, you know. And uh, but anyway, uh, no, I sit down and write. Uh, you know, I I can do it at a table. I've written a few on the bunk in the bunk down there. I've written the first early stuff I did drag fishing on the Colombian stove. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to get back to the conversation here in one second. I just want to say real quickly, if you could do myself and Feral Audio a favor, if you could go to my page at feralaudio.com, the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page, and click on the Amazon link. And if you, I don't know, put that in your toolbar and you use that for when you buy uh, movies or diapers or cleaning stuff, uh, we get a kickback of that money. And that helps us support uh, the shows and, uh, and buy equipment. Also, if you can, and I know times are tough, if you could donate a little something, that would help us out a lot. Um, I'm trying to get a new recorder, and it helps us, you know, uh, keep these uh, the websites up and all that, and uh, keep Feral Audio running and the conversations with Matt Dwyer running. That's it. Sorry uh, for interrupting. Back to the show. When you. F- uh- when you first started writing, because so, I mean, I'm just, I speak from my experience, mm-hmm. but the first couple of things you write, and then you're like, oh, hey, mm-hmm. like, did, or did you feel like an immediate, like, oh man, I'm good at this? Yeah, well, you could tell, you know, the people got a hit out of it, they got a laugh out of it, or, you know, they, they kind of paid attention, you know, they, they, you know, they, they told you it was good and they weren't bullshitting you, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, and then when the event started, then, okay, now, and then once in a while the phone rings. Well, can you come to this little deal or that little deal or whatever, you know? And so you try to crank something out for there for that. I've done. I've also done some. Uh, uh, what do you want to call them? Memorials. If you like that, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes on very very short notice, which is a pretty tough thing to do sometimes because of the situation, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> Do you enjoy performing them? Those? No, not memorials. No, no. <laughs> Nobody enjoys a memorial. No. <laughs> but I meant... <laughs> enjoy... Right, right. Enjoy what? No. Uh, when you get up and perform. Cause... Well, yeah. If You you know, you know, you, you pretty much know right away whether you're hitting it. I mean, mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. It's not good if you, you know, if you, if you know... You, it's nice, it's helpful if you have a crowd that's boozing, too, you know. <laughs> it's always a big plus yeah I'm, you know if you get the sphinxes out there in a dry dry stage or something that's, yeah those can be pretty rough but uh you know uh yeah oh yeah you know it's i mean i don't give a shit whether you're a ball player or an actor or whatever yeah sure you know the old applause can be a little addicting and i think a lot of uh probably a lot of artists you know including myself you have i don't know what it is about being a creative type of person but sometimes you're a little hard on yourself you kind of beat yourself up you know so you know you get a little hit like that you know it makes things a little better you know yeah i was talking to somebody the other day it's like if you have an off night in front of a crowd mm-hmm. that'll hover in your body for yeah, weeks. oh yeah. And a great you, night lasts till the morning, maybe. You know, it's like the ball player that goes, you know, four for four and drives in a couple of runs, you know. But he's going to remember, you know, the second game of the doubleheader when he struck out twice and booted a ground ball or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the same way, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think. When you, 
what was it like? Because the first time you got asked to perform in front of an audience, what mm -hmm. was what was that like for you? Well, <laughs> I hear you're di quite dynamic. Well, it was all by accident, and this I, no, I didn't see this thing coming. It was just it was like just you know the lightning bolt. We were on a salvage job. I worked on that salvage ship out of Astoria. We didn't have the ship. We were pulling this fishing boat off a beach in Eureka, brand new. Uh, it was like a million dollar boat, man, ninety foot or steel boat. The ship was late, was laid up. We didn't take it down because it was had uh, uh, Coast Guard inspection stuff, whatever. So they used a partner company had a tugboat down there. We're in Eureka. We get the thing off. It's a success, you know. So now the owner. Usually after a beach job, whatever, you know, you're going to go out and have a victory party, you know. He's going to buy the steak dinner, have the drinks, you know, and it's all good. We're in a place that's double three in in Eureka. He's got us put up there, I think it was. So we're at something like a weeknight, it's a Wednesday night or something, and this bar, it's pretty early in there, and a place fills up, and what the hell's going on? Well, it's karaoke night. And then I didn't really even know, I'd heard the word, but I didn't really know what it was. Karaoke? Yeah. Hell, man, they had some big fans, and this, you know, they had this dude look, you know, wearing some George Jones outfit, you know, and, a, you know, he was, and he had women crying, and God, they, then there was a nurse just off the floor with her name tag on. She was better than Barbara Streisand. She did all that stuff. My buddy gets up, and he says, he goes up and signs me up to do a poem. You know, and then he comes back and tells me. And I says, Gunny, you know, his name's Gunner Allen. He, I says, they don't want to hear something like that. You're nuts, man. He says, ah, come on, you know. And so I think, I say, well, you know, I had just enough in me. And I says, you know, I'm going to give this kid a, a, a memory he ain't going to forget. <laughs> and I had to walk around the block a couple times to sober up a little and I shifted to soda water, you know. And, and this poem was called The Viking Funeral. As luck would have it, the character in this poem is from Eureka, California. He had a he had a slap called the Blue Star, and he blows every dime in the Vista Del Mar and all this stuff. Well, shit, I got up there and I had it from memory. And you know the crowd got pretty quiet, and all and they're paying attention. You know I could tell, you know. And hell, you know the it's about a three minute poem, and hell, you know. You know, I mean, it went over. And uh, I sat down. And I see this this big arm comes over my shoulder and he slaps a scotch and water in front of me. That's what I drank. <laughs> Gunner told me I drank tours and water, you know. It was a tattoo or an old sailing ship or a whatever, you know. I, I see that big arm come bang. Here you go, kid. You know, so that was the very first one with a microphone. In a in a in a in a in a, in a uh, public audience, as opposed to a couple of guys on a bar stool, you know. Did you think after that, like, I want to do this again? Well, not you know, it kind of passed, but then, you know, it wasn't all that that much longer that this event started. You know, it was like the timing was pretty strange yeah I mean yeah I, th I thought it was pretty cool you know but then I don't think there was another stage deal until uh, until uh, <coughs> until the Fisher Poet thing started 
So when they come up, they came up with this, and I didn't know any of them really. The organizers and you know they didn't, they just called down at a salvage sheet. We're in port, and they said, you know, we heard you got a couple of poems, and we got this thing going on. And okay, all right. Well, but at least I had I had five or six under my belt, you know. Who knew that this thing was coming? I didn't know. I just thought this was something you did in front of your friends, you know. That's all. Yeah. It's a, it's a, because th- I mean I didn't know about it until recently. Right, right. Which, but, but to me it's exciting because I, I was like a few months ago I was saying it seemed like, you know, it seemed like in the fifties and sixties people avidly read and participated right. in poetry and it sure. seems to have. But see, I think you know, it's a good thing in a way, you know, to write about the industry and so forth and so on. You know, although I'm out of fishing, all my fishing stuff is kind of looking back. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, the boats and, you know, you keep a boat person alive. Or, you know, there, there's people that appreciate that, families, so forth and so on. You know, you could, but, uh, but I think the thing that has a Fisher-Poet thing, if you have, you have a, a, a poet preface by something, you've got a cowboy poet, you got a Fisher, that's a big edge. Yeah. I mean, these other guys can write their socks off, you know, and they can... But hell, you know they, right? So we get we got a slot. That's a that's that's kind of a uh, a bonus for as far as having an audience or putting something. I'm not knocking it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you can have a guy, you know, that's throwing more goddamn poems in a garbage can, and I were inked out, you know, and he's you know, and he's he might get in, in a little bookstore with three people around, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know. Uh, I'm not knocking those guys at all. I think anybody's sitting down trying to put something on a piece of paper, no matter how old or young you are, you know, you got to respect it, you know. The cowboys, I think, were the guys that jumped on it, you know, they, they, as far as a commercial thing or whatever. See, So this is kind of a, t- a spin-off on that. And then uh, John Broderick, he, he kind of, he went after the angle, okay, we're, He'd heard the cowboy stuff, but he liked the work and related, so he went after like Clem Stark. I don't know if you've heard him, but he's a tremendous Oregon guy. He lives down in Dallas, east of Salem. I'll, I'll give you a couple of his books when you go. And he and he doesn't. He went to see the merchant seaman for a while, but he and he bummed around. He hoboed, knocked around, whatever. But but he hell, he speaks Russian, Japanese. Who knows what all he speaks, you know? But he's 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 an intellect guy. Uh-huh. So he helped inspire the, the thing too, you know. I think. For me, with Fisher Poets going there, I was like, oh, because in Chicago, you know, you can go through some bad poetry nights. Yeah. yeah. And so someone asked me to shoot there, and I was, wasn't so thrilled. I said, oh, we'll go there for a couple hours. But it was great because it was all blue collar got people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Coming from plumbing. Right. And watching how a lot of folks in plumbing de- deteriorate. Right. And I always thought, man, if they were just more creative. Right. They they maybe be a little bit more a, a different person it's a great not, point. not as much yeah. not as so burdened by life and then they come out here and see these fucking like i'm talking viking dudes like oh yeah just <laughs> right they don't look like they're going to be sensitive right 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 at right. any moment in their life right <laughs> and they're, they're you know they're going i'm like holy shit this is the greatest thing ever yeah. so for me that's what was the this wonderful I right was like, Boy, if this spreads, what about firemen poets, cop right, poets, right. plumber poets? Yes. Right, right. You know, it, 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 
that was great for me to see. Remember I told you about, like, I wish my dad made art or did something beside drink. Yeah. That was that. That's, mm-hmm. No, because that's... Well, I was, his art was drinking. He like he knew. He's like, I get that brandy right there. It's going to last <laughs> 2.5 days uh, with beer. Four days I could make that brandy last. You know, so he had it all. That is kind of an art form, all right. <laughs> right. But that's an interesting, because we're both from the Chicago area, right. blue, and we're both from blue-collar families. Yeah, right. And it's like... For me to say I was going to be creative was almost a shameful thing. Yeah, like yeah. I was like had to like hey, like it was like I was sitting down my, to my mom and giving her bad news. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, right. well, in the Midwest where we're from, if you're like, well, I'm I'm you're 12 years old, I'm a vegetarian, you're gonna get beaten. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> I yeah. play piano. Oh yeah. Right, right, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right, it, right. It implies you're going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'm fascinated because it seems a very your guys' culture seems to embrace it. Where you know, I, I think that, or am I wrong? No, I think I think it's I don't know. I think yeah, it's, it's pretty free and men, women, uh, no matter what fishery and yeah, it's, they kind of whittle out all the falling leaf stuff pretty early on, you know. But uh, yeah, and, uh, I think it's all pretty genuine, you know, really. Yeah. I know what you mean by falling leaves. Two of my brothers have fished with Dave Densmore. One was a falling leaf. <laughs> <laughs> What's that mean? I think I think it means someone who gets put on the dock and says... See no, 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 oh, no, okay. no, no. What I was referring I was to was not... I know no, I was just, you know, as far as the writing goes, you know. Right. Well, okay. you, know, you know, right. You know, as opposed to, uh, you know, jagged wire rope or, or right. uh, you know getting caught on a bite of a line or something, you know. I get no, it. You know, you know, no, no, that's, you're cool. You're, <laughs> He's not that cool. Get to know him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you guys get together, too, do you guys start talking poetry and all that stuff, or is it, like, if you and Densmore are having a couple? No, not really. Uh, no. You'd think there might be a little bit of more, more of that. You know, sometimes, maybe with, there's maybe... No, I wouldn't say a lot. No, not necessarily. I'm sure there are people that do. You know, it's probably a good thing. You know, I have maybe with a, with a couple of guys, you know, here and there, but nothing deep, you know. Yes. You know. Is it? Uh, is it? Can we ask you to perform a poem now? Would that be acceptable to you? Yeah, I if can you do didn't it. want to, we'd... no, I mean I could do that. I mean that's part of the deal, I reckon. You know. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know which era, era you want, long, short. You know, you got the old slapstick stuff. You got, uh, you know, you got the Louis Louis poem. That, you know, <laughs> Can we get, uh, what about the uh, the one you mentioned, the first one you performed? Is that acceptable to ask? Yeah, I could do that. You know what, at this point, I might have to, re- you know, I could probably go through the damn thing. I mean, I could try, but I could also have that piece of paper next to Is me. Is Bone China yeah. one of your Louis Louis? No, no. Well, no, that's kind of a new one. That's uh, But like the, the Viking one. funeral? Oh. We, Viking. Now, we now drink out of Bone China at home. Anytime we can find it at the thrift store, we're like, hey, grab that Bone China. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All based on... You know, you know I, could, well, I could try it from uh, just... Uh, I can try it without a, a note. I could probably do it, I reckon, you know. Which, which, yeah, whichever makes you more comfortable. Okay. Or Bong China, I would love no, to hear No, well, both. I mean, okay. the Viking would be yeah. appropriate because not only that, it was about the third one I did. And this is also, you're not supposed to tell about a poem, but this was, you know, 
this was actually based on somebody I know, and I had to disguise him kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's gone now. You know, he's he's passed on, and I, you know, he lived hard, and uh, I uh, I wound up actually reading this thing at a memorial, you know, right here in this little port down here, you know. But mm-hmm. that ain't make a sad deal. We'll just hit it, man. It's called a Viking funeral. Well, this guy was all cargo, not flotsam or jetsam. Stood six football four in his gurried Ballard Stetson. He wore a gray filson jacket and black Frisco jeans. They were splattered all over with Norwegian green. Well, he hiked his bulk upon a stool. I tossed the coaster down. He threw down a hundred, said, buy the house around. I rang the bell. Up went a yell from a crowd of waterfront rats. Their ship had come in. They wore beer grins and slapped each other on the back. Well, this guy was big. You know the kind. They fill up a door. He smelled like diesel fuel and stank of albacore. His face was brown as running rust. Had hands like coffee cans. His wrists were like vine maple. He said, I have myself a hams. Well, after three beers, he got up to piss. The jukebox was howling some old Hank Williams shit. Then through a screen of cigarette smoke, Kodiak Chris leaned over and gave me this dope. He said I fish with that guy. He had a death wish. He fished like a drunk, drank like a fish. He's from Eureka, has a slab called Blue Star, and he blows every dime into Vista Del Mar. Well, the big guy came back from pumping his bilge. He bought round after round with a fistful of bills. The stiffs were ecstatic. God, what a racket when he fit them all out in green tavern jackets. Well, there's an hour to go before last call. He said, I'm going next door for some real alcohol. See, I drink beer for bulk and whiskey for blast. I'm going over to Reds to get drunk on my ass. He said, by the way, I got a plan. When I go out, I'm going out like a man. I ain't using no gun. I ain't using no rope. See, tuna's my game, and the bank wants my boat. Well, I just stood there. Hell, I didn't know what to think. I let it slide. He had too much to drink. Well, next night at the tavern, I talked to old Pops. He worked pumping diesel at the Union Fuel Dock. He said, remember that big guy that bought us all jackets? The guy from Eureka that created a racket? Well, he come in with Blue Star drunk in his ass and got underway with two drums of gas. Well, one week later, the story came out. I got it from Larry, who'd run up from down south. The ocean was flat. They were onto the fish. They're all close to having plug tuna trips. Well, here come Blue Star with one busted pole. They figured a big guy had been on a roll. He ran past at midnight... He ran past the king, he ran past the Trojan, past the Dory. <coughs> yeah, he kept a running way out to the west. Blue Star disappeared into a red-orange sunset. Well, out on the horizon they saw a bright light. It glowed for hours well into the night. At daybreak they found her, but they weren't in time. Blue Star had burned to her waterline. Well, all they found was a note and a quart bottle of hams. 
and here's what was printed in a black-lettered hand. I'm going to Valhalla. I went like a man. I done what I could, and I did all I can. Holy shit, wow. that's <laughs> That is that awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're, it's, your performing is yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. That one's from the heart, because it, you were friends with that it's kind of personal. Know. Well, I don't want to blow the poem. I, don't, I probably shouldn't say, but it was... <laughs> You know, I don't know. Sometimes maybe it ain't a good idea to tell where a poem came from. Sometimes it is, maybe, you know? Yeah. It's a combination of things. Okay? First of all, there's a lot of truth in fiction. You know, some people think it's all lies and bullshit. Maybe it is. But like old Chris said, he's a walking contradiction, partly truth and partly fiction. Taking every wrong direction on his lonely way back home. So, uh, yeah, no matter if it's a fictionalized poem, I always have somebody in there, maybe two or three people, you know. And uh, how this thing got rolling, first I came up with a line. He fished like a drunk and drank like a fish. I didn't know where it was going or what poem or how long it was going to be or anything like it, but I came up with that line. And then, <clears throat> then I heard another two guys and right down here in this local tavern, they, you know, a couple of guys on a bar stool and they're from out of town. And I don't know what the turmoil was, but the one guy kept saying, I've done what I could, but I did all I can. I kind of like that line. <laughs> That's great. That's great. He kept repeating that. And then the third factor is, and the one that put it over the top, which is kind of a sad story, but this is a, a guy that's pretty close. And he's a local guy. And I won't have to say his name. A lot of, a lot of people know him, run into him at one time or another. But he, he had a problem with boozing, and he had a problem with fighting and getting in, you know, he was a, same old story, nicest guy in the world, but man, you know, he he liked to brawl and, you know, he wouldn't necessarily go after somebody being mean. It, some this event would just happen and, well, anyway, so he got on, he got pretty straight and he went on a wagon and everything. But when he would go off and go on a, and go on one, every, they'd kind of lock him up down his old man's gear shed. But everybody knew he was, he was, and I said, oh man, he's boozing. He's, you know, he'd kind of look out for the guy, you know, just keep, because you don't want him to go to jail. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I got to thinking, you know, I think he's living such a tortured life that one of these days he might, you know, he might even end it. What would he do? What's he capable of doing? How would he go out? You know what I mean? And so, all these three things kind of that put this thing together kind of happened at once, see? So that's how it came about. And, you know, that's how that's where that one came from. It's great. I hope I didn't spoil the story. but No, not at all. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, especially as creative people, that sort of insight helps us, you know. Yeah, yeah. Process, yeah. But uh, as a... 
And you know, the guy was no reader, but I told he'd heard that poem. Yeah, he had he loved that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask you, does anybody ever hear something and go, is that me? <laughs> he lo he loved it. He lo he liked that. And he uh and you know, I actually disguised him in there. I mentioned the name of a boat, you know, but uh <laughs> <laughs> Then when it comes time, when he checked out, caught the westbound, as the elbows say, you know, kept sinking sun. They brought his boat around down there to the port. It was looking good, just out of the yard, an old family boat. And uh, so they had the local Lutheran minister there, and he says, well, I hear you're going to do something. I says, yeah. He says, well, what is it? I said, well, it's called the Viking Funeral. <laughs> I, he says, uh, "Well, what, what, what's it about?" Well, I says, "Got a little booze in it, you know, you know, hard living in it and stuff." But I think, you know, this was Larry would like, you know, so. yeah, you know, so I did it. It was a good send off, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. What the minister think of it? Yeah. Who knows? You know, you know, he, I, you know, it's hard to get a read on a guy anyway. You know. Uh, but uh, anyway, but that's that's the name of that one there, and and, uh, and then you know some of them are, uh, you know they they're not all the boozing and blowing and all that you know you show a little respect you know you there's a lot of them are lighthearted whatever you know. Yeah. Is uh, what what is the bone China is that. It's, it's, about, a, it's a great story. It's a, yeah, it's it's a about cool story. It. But you in a moment where you you know we were listening to him, we're in the moment with him. You know, felt like we could, you know. Yeah, I'd have picture. to. You know, it's it probably comes in just a little under three. You know, and not only that, it's my father-in-law who passed on a few years ago. He's the guy running that little boat right there, the Joanne. So not only that, it's not a rhymer. See, the reason a lot of people write, do at this event, they kind of write to rhymers, it's good for a barroom setting. You Isn't know, I suppose. I think maybe. Right. You know, you can. I like to mix it up to show people that, yeah, okay, you know, I can, you know, go another route too, you know, if I had. You know. Yeah, what is your more preferred? Well, I know <clears throat> that I would. Probably maybe not like a non-rhyme, you know, like a free verse, maybe, perhaps. Because you, you to do the, the rhyming stuff, you have, you kind of become, you come, you know, you're kind of a slave to the rhyme. You know, I try not to make them, they're not really as, I try to mix, throw other, a lot of words in there, I had them to make where they're not so damn obvious or sing-songy. Mm-hmm. I think, but on, because they look, a lot of like true poets, they look like a rhyming poet, like a uh, accordion player or something, right? Mm -hmm. Know what I mean? Yeah. Perhaps. But I, on the other hand, hey, you like music, don't you? What have you been listening to your whole life? What, what's the matter with that, you know? Right? Yeah. You can still tell a story with a rhyme. But I think it works better for people's, uh, you know, like in a, in a setting, on a stage, a bar, you know, I think it, it kind of works good, you know? Yeah, I mean, rhyming is, it, it's, it's not easy either. It's no, like, it's, it's a not. Lot of, it's a lot of work. It, it, it isn't, you know, it, it's not as easy, it really isn't, and, uh, you know, 
And like I try to jam a lot of words uh, in to make to 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 do a real sing song. You know, it, it is, but it isn't. Yeah, but uh, yeah. If you want to hear, I mean, Bone China Cup is pretty good. It's it's actually a uh, it's about my father-in-law passed on. You know, I mean, he had a good life, man. He should have been dead many times. 90, 97 years old. Wow. He was good till he was 95. Hell, he had girlfriends. He, he, you know, man, oh, man, he was, you know, he, he had girlfriends he was 91 or 2 or something. Shit, and they didn't know. I don't know what he was doing, but hell, Viagra wasn't even on the market in them days. You know? <laughs> okay, you ready to rock on this thing or what? Yes, sir. Okay. It's called Bone China Cup. How a Bone China Cup survived aboard a little gas engine powered salmon trawler that fished off the Oregon Washington coast in the 1940s, 50s, and early 60s is beyond me. Thick, white, muscle bound mugs. Tattooed with a Shenango or Buffalo China trademark were the standard at sea and took as much abuse as the boat and the person that drank from them. Bucking in the jackass seas or a northwest wind shop was like facing a relentless body puncher day after day. A bad bar crossing could take out anyone or anything, ready or not, coffee cups included. Well, having learned that my father-in-law drank his coffee from a bone china cup while fishing salmon and silvers from Quileute to Newport and the little troller Joanne, I wondered, why a bone china cup? Superstition? A lucky charm, perhaps? Think of it. A delicate, dainty, gold-rim, floral-patterned, hand-painted bone china cup cradled in the hands of an old country Swede who had logged from Nema to Queets in the steam whistle days, shot stumps as a powder monkey, built bridges up and down the coast. He's been busted up, bushwhacked, buried alive, electrocuted, and had even survived moonshine poisoning before pursuing a less hazardous occupation, commercial fishing. My father-in-law was too tough for a bone china cup, the bone china cup bothered me. So, one day before he died at age 97, I cranked up the volume and asked him, John, while you were out fishing, why did you drink your coffee from a bone china cup? And although his hearing had been carpet bombed and destroyed by gas engine trollers, power saws, shotguns, and dynamite, he comprehended but looked at me as if I had asked him the last stupid question of his life. And in a voice that danced like a shotish, he replied, because it just tastes better that way. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Conversations with Matt DeWire. That was the great Gino Leach. Please uh, check Google him, check out more of his stuff. 
Uh, and you know those neighbors I mentioned at the top of the show. Now the guy's whistling really loudly. It's quite an- annoying. Uh, please donate to the show if you can. Go to my page at feralaudio.com. Donate. Use the Amazon link. And I thank you very much for listening. Check out all the other shows on Feral Audio. Thank you. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.